The Daily Tap is live for Tuesday. It is June 6th. We are redrafting the Green Bay Packers 2022 to 2020 NFL drafts. We are also going to talk about three things from the Brewers' loss to the Cincinnati Reds on Monday night. Uh, and we will wrap up with Louisville recap, horse racing, and bourbon. What more do you need? Before we get going, just a reminder, we're on all the socials. Tapping the Keg on Twitter, Tapping the Keg Sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok and Facebook if you're hanging out there. Uh, make sure that you are leaving a rating. It's been a while since we've got a rating on Apple. We could use one. Uh, fire that in. Uh, if you don't want to do that, you're shy or whatever, drop this into the group chat. Uh, nothing like uh, redrafting in the middle of June. So let's get into it. Waste no more time and start redrafting for the Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers and the NFL draft always have interesting you know, dynamics. Green Bay is a team who has been a draft and develop organization really for my entire lifetime, right? Uh, Ron Wolf, I felt like started it. Uh, Ted Thompson continued it. Mike Sherman, I, I, it's a lean, those are lean years, right? You'd have to really go back and see what Mike Sherman did in those drafts. And then you have Brian Gutekus, who continues to do that. Now, Ted, I felt, took it to the extreme. I think Brian, at times, tried to emulate Ted. Uh, but, you know, there are mistakes that are made down the road. And that is why we are doing a redraft. We are seeing how good some of these drafts were or how bad they might have been. What were some misses where it's like, what could have been if this player was part of the Green Bay Packers. So how this exercise will work is we will look at the drafts of the last three years. We're gonna, this is, by the way, we're gonna do, I think the last 10 we're talking about. So something we're gonna do every two weeks, let's just say, uh, kind of a habitual topic here in the summer as we you know go through the lean months uh and trust me we could do this with the bucks we could do this probably with the brewers too i think the brewers is really hard because baseball is so unpredictable high school guys with college guys where guys want to come out of high school and the whole thing like dylan covey right who was the brewers top prospect or they yeah they drafted him 15th overall and they were unsure about i believe it was his diabetes you'd have to look it up but he went back to school uh, he got drafted later. He's bounced around. He pitched for the Dodgers. He was just recently for the Phillies. I don't know if he's back in AAA now for the Phillies. He got blown up by the Braves on a Sunday night baseball. But it's wild to you know see Covey in the big leagues. Uh, but he hasn't obviously panned out. So that's not one where we're ruining the day that Dylan Covey isn't a Milwaukee Brewer. But we're not here to talk about the Brewers. We're here to talk about the Packers. So anyways, how this will work is I will look at the draft pick Packers made, and then I will look at the five picks that will happen after the Packers. Now, I'm not going to give you all five picks. I'm just going to basically say, all right, is there a player that is better that would have helped the Packers in this draft? Now, here's a very important topic. Every draft is a silo. So it is what the team needed in 2022. It's what the team needed in 2021. It's what the team needed in 2020. So there will be a situation and you'll see where it happens where it's like, well, if you would have drafted this guy in 2021, you don't need to draft this guy in 2022. That's not how we're doing it. We are, again, it's a, we reset the deck every time. 
All right. So those are the rules. I hope you guys enjoy this. Uh, and certainly let me know if you hate it, if you want to see tweaks to it. Um, tapping the keg on Twitter, tapping the keg sports on Instagram. We're happy to do more. But let's begin with the 2022 draft. I know some might say, hey, Charlie, this is, you know, there's not enough here to work off of. But oh, trust me, I think there's at least a little bit of meat on the bone for this exercise. So 2022, the Green Bay Packers drafted Quay Walker with their first pick in the first round. Walker still has a chance to be good, but let's be clear. He struggled in year one. Now, some of that was immaturity. Some of that was maybe Walker being out of position. Um, and it, he didn't exactly have, I think, the year that you would have wanted where the Green Bay Packers drafted him. If I was redrafting the 2022 draft, I would have drafted Tyler Lindenbaum, the kid from Iowa, the center. Uh, he made the PFF all-rookie team. The Green Bay Packers have already stated in OTAs, they haven't said it outright, but with all the different combinations that they are unsure about Josh Myers. Originally, they felt like Lindenbaum could play, you know, not only a center, but he could also play a guard. There is still concerns about him as a pass blocker, and maybe with a guy like Aaron Rodgers, that wouldn't have worked. But I think they would be set up on an offensive line in such a special way with that center, with that center, and it would have been a you know a real solid step forward with this Green Bay Packer team. Now maybe at that point Green Bay did not know they were going with Jordan Love, but man oh man, if you think about it now, and they had this young promising offensive line with Zach Tom, with Josh Nyman, with David Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins, John Runyon, like that's an awesome offensive line. And you add Lindenblom into that mix, wow, really, really fucking good. Uh, Devontae Wyatt was the next pick. Now, I think a lot of you would say, all right, definitely you move on from Devontae Wyatt. But here's something that I think we need to understand in this exercise. Not all, the guys behind are not always bona fide, locked in, you know, you're like, oh yeah, good to go. Wyatt actually made the PFF All-Rookie Team. Lindenbaum also made the PFF All-Rookie Team, by the way. The guys behind him were not that special. Dax Hill and Lewis Seen were both safeties, but they had rough rookie years. Uh, Hill barely played for the Bengals. Seen had a pretty awful leg injury. I think had Seen not had the leg injury, maybe we're talking about Seen as the guy. Remember, Murph and I were both kind of pounding on the table for scene. If you listen to our old 2022 draft podcast, that is. Uh, Long term, I think we could look back at this and say, yeah, Cena Hill were the guys. But right now, in this moment, it's Wyatt. Christian Watson is the next pick for the Green Bay Packers. Christian Watson is the redraft pick. I mean, this guy is phenomenal. I love his potential. There's absolutely no reason why I would change my position on Watson the guys that are behind him sometimes too when you're doing this redraft you don't really care what's behind it's like Christian Watson is that dude I don't think that Green Bay should have strayed from that I don't think there will be any sort of regret uh Sean Ryan was the next pick uh I would have went with Zachary Carter a defensive lineman out of Florida he started every game for Cincinnati uh we saw in the 2023 draft that the Packers were short on D-line depth Carter could have helped here with Lindenbaum in the fold. You didn't need to draft Sean Ryan. And so you could have went with Carter. I think that would have been 
the move here. Uh, Carter isn't anything special, but he's a rotational piece that the Green Bay Packers, like as I said, drafted in 2023. So I think that would have been the move. Romeo Dobbs next pick. Romeo Dobbs were it, it's still the pick. The guys behind him again were not that impressive. Dobbs showed showed signs of being a guy at times. Um, I, I know there's some smoke going on that Dobbs and Love seemingly have a connection going already. Uh, Mountain West dudes um, just on the same page. Uh, so maybe it's the Dobbs show this year and not the Christian Watson show. Uh, that's an interesting like hypothetical prop to play. You know, who has more receiving yards at the end of the year? Dobbs or Watson, you know, if we had a deal with a sports book, if Potawatomi ever wanted to get, you know, get get into the realm of podcast advertising, we could certainly have that cooked up because it's an interesting sort of subplot, I guess, in the summer that's simmering, if you will. Uh, so yeah, Romeo Dobbs is the guy here. Uh, another one where I use the Packers draft pick, Zach Tom. Zach Tom, everybody was like, oh yeah, this guy's a Packer, versatile guy little undersized, but can play all these positions. Um, I, I think he's a future starter for this team. Now, I will caveat that Chig Anakonowo is the real deal. The Packers could have worked on solving their tight end problem a year early. This is a very interesting one to watch in three to five years because Chig Okonwu was Okonwu, uh, <laughs> tried to pronounce the name, not easy. Uh, but he was there to draft for the Green Bay Packers. That was available. So they could have easily, you know, reset their tight end position a year early. I think because of Big Dog, because of Tunyon, because of their relationship with Aaron Rodgers, you know, maybe that held the organization back from doing that. Um, I don't think Okinawa would have seen a lot of a lot of time on the field, but who knows? Um, so I think Zach Tom is the guy right now, but it certainly could be different, you know, three to five years down the road. Kingsley and Yambare, uh, again, I would stick with that pick. He played a lot after Sean Gary went down. Seems like Yambare is going to start out the box um, in 2023. I'm very excited for, you know, his potential. I think he's a really good player. And he kind of shows some of the Zedaria Smith tendencies that we liked with Z. The ego and the captain shit we didn't like with Z. But what Z was on the field, I think you see a lot with Ingenbare. Uh, Tyree Carpenter, the same. Uh, Bo Melton actually was a guy who was picked right after Tyree Carpenter. He's on the roster. So I think that tells you that there really isn't anyone available. You know, And as you get into these later rounds, you will sort of see that it's hard to find those gems. Jonathan Ford is the next pick who is still, I believe, on the Packers roster, uh, kind of just stored away. Thayer Mumford would have been my pick. He was an offensive tackle from Ohio State. He played all 17 games for Las Vegas. Um, he could have been more vital than Rashid Walker, who also got drafted as an offensive tackle right after. And if you know Mumford was playing out the, out the gate, like why wouldn't you have had that guy or why would you wouldn't you have wanted that guy um i don't know if he would have played in all 17 for the packers but the fact that he was playing as a rookie as a seventh year as a seventh round draft pick says a lot instead of rasheed walker i would have drafted isaiah pacheco uh we've seen what pacheco did for the chiefs a very dynamic running back 
it likely could have meant that you could have moved on from Aaron Jones. I know Green Bay right now has a very young roster. I'm very against moving any veterans. Um, if you want to know my opinion on the David Bakhtiari uh, sort of commentary about him getting traded in one sentence. Uh, so that it, there is that, right? But Pacheco could have reset your running back spending with him and Dylan. Um, if not, if you decided to keep all three, you could have had an awesome three running back attack. So... To recap, the redraft, Tyler Lindenbaum, Devontae Wyatt, Christian Watson, Zach, Zachary Carter, Romeo Dobbs, Zach Tom, Kingsley Ingambare, Tyree Carpenter, Thayer Mumford, Isaiah Pacheco. That that's that sounds like a pretty good draft. But to give Brian Gutekou some credit, like he did nail a few of these packs picks so far. 2021 is a lot more grim. Let's just say this. Um so we start with Eric Stokes. Tyson Campbell would have been the pick. Uh, Tyson Campbell was picked a few after Stokes into the second round. He was a little bit undersized, but right now he's been the better Georgia corner of the two between Stokes and Campbell, even without Stokes's injury consideration. It is a major miss. It is something that will keep me up at night. There's a few things in this 2021 draft that keep me up at night because it doesn't get prettier from here, okay? I'll just tell you that right now. And I, I've said in the past, we did this long Gutenkus deep dive and I sort of said that I wondered how much COVID fucked with everything and how much, you know, the individual workouts and not getting to do kind of everything that the Packers, you know, kind of look for, you know, in terms of getting their draft assembled. And it, it really stands out here, weirdly enough. Um, and yeah, Tyson Campbell was a guy that I think the Packers should have drafted. I didn't think that maybe at the time, but looking at what we know now, uh, Tyson Campbell is a legit locked, lockdown quarter for the Jags. And Eric Stokes is coming back from not only a knee, but also a foot injury. And I don't know if we're ever going to see the speed that Stokes had. Josh Myers was the next pick, or is the next pick for the Packers. Creed Humphrey was the pick after him. So remember when we talked about the Lindenbaum thing and how this is in a silo and you'd be like, well, you wouldn't have needed a center, you know, in 2022. But the fact that Creed Humphrey was there, the fact that the best center in fucking football was right there for the backers and they drafted another center all because this motherfucker, Creed Humphrey, and I don't mean that in a mean way, but like he was left-handed and that was the, that was what people were like freaking out about. They're like, this guy's left-handed. I don't know how it's going to work. And I don't know, maybe if you had a whiskey with Brian, you know, and there were no cameras, I was totally off the record. And you're like, hey, did you ask Rogers if he preferred Myers or Humphrey? And did he pick Myers because Myers was right-handed? I have a sneaking suspicion. That was, you know, but then again, though, that was the time where that was like the Cold War. So they probably said, fuck Rogers. <laughs> they asked Jordan Love. They asked the quarterback's coach. The Humphrey thing is such a mess. It is such a bad mess. And I think what we highlight here with the center, the two center, you know, suggestions is how bad that Josh Myers pick is. That to me goes down as one of the worst that the Green Bay has. There's one that's, I think, almost worse in 2021 than Creed Humphrey. I know that's hard, hard to think with the way I reacted to this. But yeah, major miss for Green Bay. Next pick was Amari Rogers. Nico Collins was right there. Now, Nico Collins has not had the greatest career in Houston. He's now a teammate of Amari Rodgers, funny enough. But Collins was a better pick. 
And Nico Collins, you know, might not have been able to do all the things in the return game that Amari Rodgers was able to do, but Nico Collins would have been a better option for Green Bay if they were going to draft a receiver. Royce Newman is the next pick. Royce Newman uh, almost got picked. The fourth round was truly, truly ugly that year. And that's crazy because Royce Newman is one of my least favorite football players that Green Bay has had in the last few years. And I could probably do a whole segment on, you know, ranking the guys I hate the most from the Green Bay Packers. I hate's a strong word. I shouldn't use hate. But guys that just annoy the living shit out of me. And Royce Newman's way up there. I went with Brevin Jordan uh, from Miami, uh, also a Texan. Uh, he has had a ton of potential. Everybody really loved, you know, sort of the upside that Jordan brought. Uh, he hasn't really shown it. Now, I'd argue he hasn't really had the quarterbacks to show it off with, but maybe with C.J. Stroud, it gets unlocked. It would not surprise me. T.J. Slayton uh, is the next pick. I still would put T.J. Slayton there. He's a starter. There wasn't much else available. I will also tell you as a hint for the next couple picks, this is one of two uh, Packer draft picks that I kept. So that's how, that's how ugly it is. Shamar Jean, St. Charles, next pick. Two picks. Two picks right after. Tufana Hagaloa was picked by the San Francisco 49ers. The Green Bay Packers had a chance to draft the next fucking Troy Palomalu. And could have figured out your safety issue. Could have washed your hands of it all. And they picked a special teams corner instead. Wow. That, that fucking hurts. Think about this right now. Think about this for a second. They could have came out with Tyson Campbell, who, yes, I know, small corner with Jair Alexander. The cornerback position would have been small. You could have figured it out, right? You could have had Creed Humphrey, a all-pro, the best center in football, and Tufana Halaloa, who is an awesome fucking strong safety and would have been the leader of your defense last year. Such big misses. Oh, and while we're at it, Cole Van Landon was the next pick. Khalil Herbert was also missed. Khalil Herbert would have gave the Packers a dynamic returner, a gadget player, after Green Bay had had such success with Tyler Irvin and could have challenged Aaron Jones for his top spot and could have, again, you know, made Green Bay move off of Aaron Jones. Next pick's Isaiah McDuffie. I kept with Isaiah McDuffie. Kylan Hill. I went with Dax Milne. Dax Milton's not that impressive, but Kylan Hill was nothing for Green Bay. So we go with somebody else, okay? Uh, and that is the 2021 draft. So to review, Tyson Campbell, Creed Humphrey, Nico Collins, Brevin Jordan, TJ Slayton, Tufana Halaloa, Khalil Herbert, Isaiah McDuffie, Dax Milton. The Campbell one is is debatable. I, I, really, I really can understand the their corners would have been too small. Um, but is that something you just figure out? Is that something you just, you know, make Campbell a slot guy for a little while and he's just the best slot corner in all of football? But do you draft in the first round for a slot guy? I, I would love to, I think that's an awesome, like, conversation to either have with Murph, to have with Mitch, to have with Shannon, like, about wh- what you would do in that scenario. Because the reason you drafted Stokes is because you had that Jair and you needed to compliment Jair. And... 
and I don't mean to argue with myself, but it, you know, I, I kind of had that revelation and maybe you guys did too, as you're listening, you know, you're looking at it and you're like, well, he was supposed to be the compliment to Jair. And just because he got hurt doesn't mean, you know, you should feel this way. So I don't know. Let me know what you think. Uh, but I would love to hear feedback on that one because I think that's a bigger debate than I give it credit for. And I think that's something you at least have to consider uh, with the Tyson Campbell one. So I, the Eric Stokes injury makes Tyson Campbell more attractive, more alluring. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's the 2021 draft. 2020. So I'm sure you're wondering, Charlie, what are you going to do with Jordan Love? Are you going to take Jordan Love again? You're goddamn right. Jordan Love is the pick. Number one. I have no regrets about Jordan Love. I know what happened with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, in my opinion, the more I think about it, the more I stew about it, Aaron Rodgers comes off like a petulant child. Okay? He does. He simply does. Now, did Green Bay execute it the entire way through? No. Green Bay could have done a lot better with it. Green Bay sort of treated Aaron Rodgers like he was just another guy. And I don't think that was fair to Aaron Rodgers. I think Green Bay did not understand the player player empowerment era. But Green Bay also saw a potentially declining Aaron Rodgers and tried to get his replacement because they were running out of guys available in the first round. The next five picks were not good. If you are an anti-love person, if you are like Jordan Love ruined the last few years of Aaron Rodgers, you have to fucking recognize this and admit this. You could say, well, Michael Pittman, T. Higgins, those guys were not fucking first rounders, okay? I, I don't mean to bang my my arm on the table, but seriously, please, please, please understand, no team had a first round grade on T. Higgins or Michael Pittman. They would have went in the first round if they did. Or if they did, other guys were available. The Green Bay Packers wanted to draft Justin Jefferson. The Green Bay Packers wanted to draft Brandon Ayuk. The 49ers moved ahead of the Green Bay Packers to draft Brandon Ayuk. All right? They were going to take a receiver. And you can you can do a total what if about Jordan Love, you know, if they don't draft Jordan Love. Like, what, what happens? I think the Colts would have drafted Jordan Love. And I think the Colts have a kind of a different last couple of years, in my opinion. They don't draft Anthony Richardson, obviously, this year. So here you go. So, yes, Jordan Love still a pick. A.J. Dillon's the next pick. Uh, Logan Wilson would have been my pick. You could have had a lot of guys here. Uh, you could have had Willie Gay. You could have had Jeremy Chin. Uh, but Logan Wilson is the heartbeat of this ba- of the Bengals. Very talented defense. Um, so I will go there. Maybe Logan Wilson isn't the same is the same defender, you know, outside of that Bengals defense. But who knows, right? So I'll go there. Um, I think that would have helped Green Bay um, and could have set up another part of their defense. Josiah DeGuerra is the next pick. I am actually going with Josiah DeGuerra. None of the guys after him were good at all. They've all been pretty average. I will ride it out with Josiah for another couple of years. Kamal Martin is the next pick. K.J. Osborne would have been the pick. The next pick for the Minnesota Vikings. K.J. Osborne isn't a starter, but he's a very productive player for the Vikings. He's, you know, a third or fourth wide receiver. It's a depth piece that Green Bay lacks currently. Uh, K.J. Osborne could have provided that for Green Bay. And if you had a guy like K.J. Osborne and then you have everything else, 
kind of have that quote-unquote veteran. I wouldn't even put KJ Osborne in the veteran conversation, but yeah, that that was a guy you could have had. John Runyon Jr., John Runyon Jr., for sure. He's a starter. Um, there is nothing really, nothing really there. You have to go with John Runyon there. That was a great pick for Green Bay. They're probably best pick besides Jordan Love in this draft. Jake Hansen, weirdly, I'd go with Jake Hansen. Uh, there is literally nothing here to like be outraged about. There's nothing here. I wanted to be. Jake Hansen and, St- and Simon Stefanik, who were picked back-to-back, were both pretty bad picks because Hansen you know, started one game. Everyone was hyped about Hansen, and then he got absolutely railroaded in the game against the Minnesota Vikings. He was terrible. Stefanik retired. He didn't want to be there. I cheated with this one and would have said Juwan Jennings, the large wide receiver who became a tight end. Uh, but that was, that kind of goes out of our five five picks after. I just needed something else. I couldn't say, yeah, I would draft a guy that fucking retired after a couple of years. Uh, Vernon Scott's the last one. Dane Jackson on the board and available. A few picks after him. Dane Jackson got hurt last year for the Buffalo Bills, but was a contributor right out the gate for the, that Buffalo team. So to review, we have Jordan Love, we have Logan Wilson, we have Josiah DeGuerra, KJ Osborne, John Running Jr., Jake Hansen, Juwan Johnson, and Dane Jackson. That is your 2020 draft class. So that will do it for the first round of this. We will do 2019 to 2016. Um, and though I will already tell you, I kind of did a peak of 2019. I almost did 2019 for this show. It's not going to be pretty. <laughs> that one's going to have some 2021 vibes to it. Uh, but yeah, I uh, I look forward to doing this. Feedback again, welcomed as to what we could do differently, what we could do to add to it, or anything else that you want to see or you want to hear about. All right, let's move on to the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, the Brewers lost their first game in their last four, or last five, yeah, last four, yeah. They have three of three of three or four against Cincinnati Reds. I can't talk here all of a sudden. They lose 2-0. Uh, the Reds sent a very talented left-hander and Andrew Abbott to the mound. And wouldn't you know it, the Milwaukee Brewers struggled against the left-hander. Uh, and that's where we start with the three things to know about this baseball game. This is something we're trying to do more and more as we recap the Brewers. Um, as, you know, you can't necessarily have a big overarching topic every time talking about the Brewers. And sometimes we will. I think the left-handers, you you certainly could, right? You certainly could have that conversation about this this team against left-handers will be their death knell for the entire season, and they have to figure it out. But I think you have to consider the fact they're very banged up right now. And maybe when they get some guys back, maybe they'll start figuring out, you know, how do they hit against left-handers. Lucio Rios, who we'll talk about here in a second, he's a guy who hits left-handers. Willie Adamas, he hits left-handers. You know, maybe that will help out. William Contreras continues to sort of heat up, if you will. So maybe the Brewers will turn around, you know, their struggles against left-handers. But they continue tonight. Uh, they didn't really have any answer for Andrew Abbott. He only gave up one hit. He had he had a bunch of strikeouts. He looked the part. Uh, and the Brewers had a couple opportunities. The second inning, they had runners on first and third. And Joey Weimer cranked a foul ball like joey weimer if that thing's straight it's a three-run homer and the brewers are up three nothing and frankly they win the game 
And it was a weird turning point of this baseball game because Weimer then strikes out with, I think, one on or one out and two on. And then Blake Perkins, I believe, also struck out. And so there, there you had it right there. And that was their, one of their best opportunities. Uh, Got to give Abbott credit for bearing down and looking the part, as I said. Uh, but yeah, uh, the left-handed struggles continue. Brewers are two are batting 202 against left-handed starters this season. Uh, they are 9 and 12 against left-handed pitchers or left-handed starters, so they seemingly hang around enough to keep themselves co- competitive or hit home runs. But still, it's it's not good, and they're gonna have to figure this out because it's costing them baseball games. You know, the Pirates won tonight. And had the Brewers been just okay against lefties, you know, maybe they pull this one out. Because Julio Tron, again, had a pretty good start. Like, he gave up two hits or, and, or he gave up two home runs. It's unfortunate that he did. But this wasn't exactly a bad Julio Tron game. He pitched six, six and a third, six hits allowed, five strikeouts, one walk, 86 pitches. He currently has an ERA of 1.56. So Julio Tehran is doing his job. Julio Tehran's making it very hard on the Milwaukee Brewers for what happens when Eric Lauer comes up. We talked about this, I think, on yesterday's show, right? About how you know the Brewers are making it a little more difficult, you know, on what's next for this team. And I do think that Tehran you know, has shown the goods. Like, I, I wondered if he was a guy. I said, you know, after the Toronto one, I was like, I'm still not sure. I'm kind of in that he is. You know, two home runs is nothing, right? You expect that your offense is going to show up for you, and the Brewers obviously didn't. And hopefully, you know, he works on whatever it was that allowed those homers to happen. One was a meatball uh, to Stuart Fairchild. Like, Stuart Fairchild, he just threw one you know, right right in his hot zone, went out of the ballpark. Uh, Stevenson's one I felt was not necessarily at that level. But, yeah, it was a good outing for Tehran. Tehran should certainly be pleased with how he pitched in this game. So, you know, it's going to make the Brewers, you know, lives a little tougher once they're once they have everybody up. I think it screams Eric Lauer in the bullpen. And you just use him as sort of a guy who can pitch – you know, two to three innings. And I think he could be really successful at it. I think he could have some of that Adrian Hauser type stuff that we saw, what was that, two years ago, three years ago, where Hauser was a really vital weapon for the Milwaukee Brewers at where you could piggyback and do some fun shit um, when your starter didn't have it every all the time. Number three, Luis Urias is back. Uh, Mike Brousseau goes down. I, I felt like... That was a bit of a surprise uh, for me. Uh, I, it's not that Luis Urias is up. We knew Luis Urias was coming. Actually, I was not coming back till Tuesday. It's interesting that they decided to bring Urias up now. I wonder if it was because Nashville, Cincinnati, not too far away. And they're like, fuck it. We're just going to get him up here. Get We need you know all the healthy bats that we can get. But they optioned Mike Bursow, and I thought they were going to option Terang. We kind of talked about Monastero yesterday and saying how, you know, it's not a bad thing for Bryce Terang to go down uh, and keep working on his swing, you know, face lefties, and hopefully he'll be back up. And, you, you know, you just never know. Baseball is a really long season. 
But the Brewers opted to keep Trang up, likely for his defense, likely for the defensive flexibility, and and Monastero for that matter, at least for the time being. Now, it'll be interesting to see what happens when Willie Adamas is ready on Thursday. Do they go with Trang or do they ride the hot bat in Monastero? We'll have to see. Um, that's that to me is the you know the final one. They you know this is step one, and I I think with Brasso, he's just not been good. Like he's not hitting lefties. That was what he was supposed to do. He's not doing that. His defense has been putrid this year. Um, one of the more annoying things about this Brewers team this season has been watching Mike Brasso play defense. So him going down, I have no problem with whatsoever. Luis Urias, I, it's way too early to tell, right? Uh, Weicho's played two games overall this season. Um, I think that you expect Weicho to provide some production, you know, at that six hole uh, on most game days, and hopefully will. Um, obviously, playing against his brother uh, this week in Baltimore. I don't know if Ramon is healthy. I don't keep track of uh, the Orioles injury report, but I, I hope he is. I mean, for the for the storyline, because you know Brian Anderson and Bill are going to beat that into the fucking ground about the Urias brothers playing against each other um, it, at American Family Field. Like, you know you know that is happening. You know we are, we are certainly getting those conversations but yeah it looks like it looks like Ramon Urias is is he up I, I I don't I'll be honest I I keep an eye on the Orioles from a wagering perspective but I don't I don't get go lineup to lineup yeah he's he's not playing much he came in as a pinch hitter I think uh they have a new guy Lester is that John Lester's brother is it Jay Lester I think is his name Jay Lester's not it Josh Lester Josh Lester so he's He's up. I do not know if he is related to John, but he's seemingly getting a little more time at the third base position. Uh, that's your Orioles talk, and we are going to launch into a Orioles preview. But I'll, I'll leave you here with the Urias thought of, yeah, you just you hope you hope for production, right? If the Brewers are getting healthy, the the thought is is that this offense should you know maybe not get back to where they were in April and maybe that was above their heads, but be a little bit better than what their run differential says they are. I'm not a huge believer in run differential. I don't think it is the end all be all. Remember, everyone was coming themselves about the Cardinals having a positive run differential in middle of May, and now they're the worst team in the NL. They blew a game tonight. Um, so there you have it, right? But I, I still expect this offense to be a little bit better with Urias back and then Adonis later in the week. As for the Brewers and Orioles series, some are saying World Series preview. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's big series. Uh, the Orioles are very talented. Uh, it's the Brewers' third matchup with the or fourth matchup with the AL East. So if you want to like look at a positive here, the Brewers are clear of the AL East till they play the Yankees in September. So that's a huge win because the AL East is very talented, probably best division in baseball, and you don't have to deal with them until you know the until September. So that that means there could be some opportunities, some doors open. You know, you still you still have a little bit of the AL Central play. You still have a little bit of the AL West, although you got to play that red hot Rangers team. Although who knows, right? The Rangers, yeah, I think they play them in August. They could look entirely different, you know, at that point. So as for the matchups, uh, you have Kyle Gibson for the Orioles against Freddie Peralta. 
I think it's a big start for Freddy Peralta just because I think Freddie needs, you know, a really good start. Like he needs a reestablishing start. And hopefully he can get that, you know, with the Orioles. Get has his boy Urias back. You know, Adamas is, you know, cleared and everything's good there. So maybe, you know, Peralta gets his shit together and delivers a great start. Uh, Kyle Gibson also a terrible road starter in his career, uh, worth noting. Then you have Dean Kramer uh, against Corbin Burns. Uh, Corbin Burns has been solid. Uh, he was, I thought, you know, he had one sort of bad inning, but he had a lot of bad luck watching back that that Reds Brewers game on Friday. Uh, so I think I've been relatively impressed with what I've seen from Corbin Burns. You know, in the last few few starts out, uh, but besides that Houston start, like if you take away that Houston start, it's been pretty solid for Burns. Not to make excuses for him, but I mean, this Orioles offense is at the level of the Astros, so he's going to have to you know come with it. Kramer's been really good. Uh, he has a 276 ERA in the last 30 days, uh, three and one, only nine runs allowed in those 30 days. So this could be a game where it's a first to three sort of thing. And then on Thursday, you have Kyle Bradish against Colin Ray. We'll see if Colin Ray can keep pulling rabbits out of his fucking ass. Um, and as for Bradish, uh, he's four, he has a 4.44 ERA on the road, but he is a 3.24 ERA in his last 30. Bradish has been pretty solid uh, for the Orioles. He did struggle in his last start against the Giants. Uh, it is the last of a road trip to for the Orioles. And then they, I think, had a home uh, over the weekend. So that that always, you always have to consider that, you know, sometimes on that last start where it's like, they, they went from San Francisco. They had, I think, a pretty brutal road trip, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, no. They went from San Francisco to Milwaukee, and then they had home to play Kansas City. So, you know, they, and there's also that, like, oh, we get to play one of the worst teams in baseball, you know, upcoming here. So, you know, I, I feel like you have a little bit of, I don't want to say motivation there, but it's like, you know, you're coming back to something that could be a little bit easier than playing the Brewers. Also, Worth noting, the Brewers go to 110 on Thursday. So they get out of the 1240. We're back to 110 times, which I like personally. I feel like 1240, I'm never ready for it. I'm like just getting into my work for the day by like 110. I'm not saying I'm like at at peak fuck around time, but I'm at least starting to be like, all right, I'm rounding the corner to the end of my day. Um, you know, can kind of prioritize in the morning, get some stuff out the door. And then in the afternoon, I can enjoy Brewers baseball. So yeah, 110 Brewers start, uh, but 640 still on the Thursday, the Tuesday and Wednesday uh, as the Brewers have a full week of baseball here. All right, let's wrap up today's show with uh, the Louisville recap. So as mentioned on yesterday's show, if you didn't listen, I was in Louisville and Cincinnati. Uh, and I recap Cincinnati. I kind of went out of order. Uh, we started in Louisville, but I went out of order because it was sports related. Uh, we went to the Brewers Reds game on Saturday. Uh, so you can go listen back to that uh, if you haven't already. But with Louisville, we went there because something we'd always kind of wanted to check out. Uh, my wife and I both like bourbon. Uh, we've heard great things about Louisville. We knew that the drive was pretty easy. I don't think we knew how easy the drive was, actually. Uh, it was six and a half hours. We left at like 5.15 here. 
Beat Chicago traffic. I would recommend that entire, like Chicago has a ton of construction right now going on. And it was a very easy trip. We got there in no time. It felt, it felt like a very short six hours. Uh, now you do jump ahead an hour with the East Coast. Uh, but yeah, Louisville is right on the border of Indiana. I think I didn't, I didn't realize that. Like you see it on a map, but you don't actually conceptualize it that most of your drive is driving through Indiana. Not as many um, abortion sign, anti-abortion, uh, anti-porn as as how you would think uh, driving through Indiana, which is which was a surprise and a a quick footnote. Uh, but as for Louisville, so. We did some bourbon. We saw some horse racing. Uh, we ate some really good food too. Uh, but on Thursday, when we got there, we went to Stiegel Weller. Now, Stiegel Weller is the 16th oldest distillery in Louisville. Uh, they do not uh, distill anymore. They hold, they hold a ton of whiskey, or a ton of bourbon, excuse me. Uh, I will screw that up many a times. Um, I use it interchangeably. But to be bourbon, you have to keep it genuine, 80% of it. I think 51% of it has to be corn as well uh, to make it bourbon. Uh, you bourbon snobs might fact check me. I might have missed my facts from all my tours. But yes, uh, they hold a lot of bourbon there. Uh, they are part of the Diageo family. So they host, they hold Bullet. Uh, they have Blade and Bow, which is their own whiskey. Our own bourbon, excuse me, I.W. Harper was another one that they had that we we sampled. Um, I enjoyed Blade & Bow. It was a cool experience because it's really a history lesson on bourbon. You learn a ton about, you know, what, how it all started and how it kind of all began and that how there was a fall from grace and then the Renaissance, which is what we're in right now, called the Bourbon Renaissance. Very, very interesting. You can take a cocktail on the trip. It, you know, you get a pretty solid sample. You get five samples there. And what's also cool about it is you're 10 minutes away from Churchill Downs. Um, I would say out of the ones I drank, um, Blade and Bow was probably my favorite. Uh, definitely one that I don't know if I'd go as far to buy a bottle, but I, I, it would certainly be on my radar. Right, it's certainly one where now if I see Blade and Bow, I know the story behind it. I know it's something that I might want. Their merch was really fucking cool. It was. It looks like an H, but it's actually five keys, uh, all intertwined. And it was Pappy Van Winkle who was the CEO of Stiegel Weller. You know, sort of his philosophy and sort of what he said. And he was really against chemistry, which is super funny because all like that, all of bourbon is chemistry. And, but he was against it. He didn't want anything to do with it. Big, big time into wheat as well. Uh, there were some just wild stories. They were one of the six uh, distillers that were able to produce during prohibition. They were just, it was just a very awesome history lesson in bourbon. Uh, so I do recommend that uh, as a trip. And it's not that far out of Louisville. Like you take a 10 minute Uber and you're there. And then we took that, an Uber from there to Churchill Downs. Churchill Downs had an awesome thing going where you go to the races on Thursday night. They call, they call it Twilight Thursdays. I paid $12 for like a clubhouse seat. And then they had $2 domestics and you had 10 horse races. 
Now, my wife, not a big fan of gambling. Uh, is not into it. Um, and so I kind of asked her, kind of talked about it, was like, well, what do you think? Are you into it? And she was all about it, which I, I got to give her credit. Like, she didn't tell me, you know, not to gamble. She didn't tell me, you know, don't do this, don't do that. Now, I will say I was playing at a pretty low unit, um, betting like $5 a $5 a win bet, um, and then doing like a $2 exacta. So we weren't betting a ton of money. Um, and you guys can be like, well, you're pussy, whatever. I'd be putting down 20, I'd be putting down 50. I, I look, <laughs> if I was with the boys, it would have been a different story. But with a wife who's not that big into gambling, you gotta just take what the defense is giving you, okay? So I hope you, I hope you understand that. And so we, but we had a, we had an awesome time. She hit two horse races right out of the gate, beginner's luck, the whole fucking thing. I knew that was gonna happen. I tried to tie exactas to her horses. But I was tying my horse to her exactly because I picked a separate horse. You have the tip sheet. You're looking through it. Uh, my wife described it as like a potto but for horse racing because you had a lot of grunts there. You had a lot of people there that shouldn't have been fucking gambling on horses, but just they're degens. And they're going through the entire tip sheet. They're talking strategy. They're smoking cigs. Everything is cash there. Um, that's a wild thing too. Like as... So many things are cashless. Churchill Downs is not. It's all cash. And when I mean it's all cash, it's like I went up to get a mint julep, which is actually like 12 bucks. But I was like, I, I'm here. I, I might as well have a mint julep. I, I've been drinking. I was having fun. We were winning horse races. And they're like, oh, it's 12 bucks and it's in cash. And I was like, well, this is my fucking stash for, for betting horses. What are we doing here? Um, and, you know, what's cool too is like you can do – you can do sort of the plug it in, or you can go up to a bunch of old people and say, I want the eight horse to win, or I want the nine horse to win. And, and yeah, it's great. I mean, our biggest hit was, I think we got a nine to two horse. Uh, it was called Frigid Girl. Uh, one of the ones my wife liked, she ended up choosing another horse because it was a nickname that we give her dog, Lily. Uh, and so we decided to go with the, but I, I decided to go with Frigid Girl because that was another one my life liked. She obviously was a hot hand. I was riding the hot hand and we ended up pulling out for We ended up winning 40 bucks on it. It was a photo finish. I will not, I've had some sweats in my day, but I will not tell you that how big of a sweat that was. Cause it's like, you just want to win. And they, they took forever to announce the official winner, and I was fired up. Oh man, I was jacked, and it was great to get that cash out. We actually didn't finish the horse race. Uh, we kind of left while it's hot. Usually something that I would never do in gambling, like never, ever, ever do. But we it was a good choice because we went to dinner. We had a great dinner at Perso. Would recommend. Unbelievable chef's table experience, uh, Italian-American there. Uh, but like... I would have loved to stay for two more. See if we could got even more money. Um, I don't know what our official net was because like I said, I was paying for drinks with the same money that we were gambling with. I think had we, you know, done it a little had I done it a little bit differently, I would have kept money, you know, for the bets. I would have kept money aside of the bets we won. And then we would have just seen where and then and money for drinks. It's weird how segmented you had to be. 
But I will tell you, it made me sad that we don't have Arlington Park, uh, which is only about an hour away from us. Because I think that if Arlington Park was still here, I would say there are more than like there are great odds. I would I would probably find my way to Arlington Park once a summer, twice a summer, maybe more. Uh, but yeah, I, I had a great time, man. Uh, I I had such a blast. Uh, probably my favorite part of the Louisville trip. Yeah, see where we are in time here, so I'm not too too rambly. I will try to uh, wrap up the other bourbon tours we went on. Uh, Rabbit's Hole Distillery. It's a newer distillery. They just made it in 2012. What's so funny about them is they're all about chemistry. Uh, they have all open uh, tanks that they let you like sample. So you can like taste the process of bourbon. You got to taste their moonshine, which you also got to taste at Angel's Envy, which was the other one we went to, uh, which they call High Wine, uh, which is like, and so you just see the process of bourbon being made. Uh, Rabbit's Hole was super impressive. You can get it at Total Wine. I think it's like $55 for their like first tier bottle. Uh, it's pretty solid. Uh, it's really good. I actually really like the Rye Whiskey too, which is the, it's a green bottle. It's like the Boxer, I think it's called Boxer Grail. Very good. Uh, and then the Derringer, which is their $75 bottle. Uh, it's done in PX Sherry. Sherry. It's great. Uh, I really learned how to drink bourbon on this trip. I am admittedly a uh, bourbon and diet guy, a uh, bourbon and ginger ale guy, uh, but I, I kind of learned how to drink bourbon neat. Uh, this acclimation shit sip I think is really cool. I'm gonna try to apply it to literally everything I drink that the second sip is always better. And there's a reason for that because your body is getting used to not only the bourbon, but other things. Um, so I'm gonna try to emulate that, you know, in my craft beer drinking as well. Uh, but yeah, it, it was so good. Uh, Derringer rocked. Like, and, and then one of the cooler things about that was they had a bottle that was 290, and but you have a, uh, a tasting for 30 and it was kind of like went in Rome, right? Uh, they also had another version of their rye available and did that as well. And that was a little less expensive, but and my wife's like, oh, this is a marketing play. I'm like, no, no fucking shit. Like, of course it's a marketing play, but guess what? I'm going to take the cheese because I want to try these fancy ass bourbons that I would never buy. She's like, you're not buying a $290 bottle. I'm like, of course not. Like, I am not that, like the uh, Stiegel Weller, there was a Blade and Bow bottle that they were selling for 900 fucking dollars. No chance. No chance in hell. Would I ever, I, like, I, I'm trying to think what would be the most expensive I would go. I think 75. I truly think 75 would be the number where I'd be like, all right, that's that's it. I don't think I'd go any higher than 75. And part of it is because I don't drink a lot of straight bourbon. I don't drink a lot of bourbon need, a lot of bourbon on the rocks. Although I do want to try bourbon on the rocks to see if now as I, I'm a little more comfortable drinking bourbon like how does that work right we do have whiskey uh, ice cubes i don't know if i i have to look for those but yeah i rabbit's hill super impressed they also had a gin that was incredible uh the gin was made it was uh aged in rye whiskey barrels it takes the juniper completely out of the gin and it's so fucking good uh they didn't have that in wisconsin probably one of my regrets that we should have bought a bottle of that even though 
we have gin that we don't use, but I, I don't know, man. It was so good, uh, and I, I really liked it. I really liked the experience of Rabbit's Hole. Would recommend right in downtown Louisville. Angel's Envy was all right. Like, it's a cool experience. It's really – like, when you do one tour, you do two tours, it's kind of the exact same thing. Um, and that's that's a whole, like – you know, it's just, you're not going to, you're not going to get much difference there. Uh, the bourbon was great. Uh, I I didn't, li- I, I would say I didn't like it as much as I liked Rabbit's Hole, but it was, it was enjoyable, um, but a lot more commercial um, than what you got from Rabbit's Hole. Rabbit's Hole felt like still this young, scrappy upstart where Angels Envy's like well-established, like get you in, get you out, uh, kind of churn that butter um, and I, I guess I would have preferred if we had stayed for a drink. My wife wanted to get going, and that's fine. Uh, we ended up going to Old Forester just to have a bourbon flight. I, that was great. I uh, wish we could have got in there. I really enjoyed the 1910 Old Forester. thought it was a really solid bourbon, probably one of the better bourbons I had uh, during that time. Uh, and that was pretty affordable, too. So if you can't get an Old Forester, because one of the things they don't tell you about Louisville is these book out way in advance. So you have to make reservations very early um i think if i were to do it again i would try to you know go to one of those like buffalo trace or heaven's hill um and get on a bus or you know because those aren't in louisville they're outside of louisville they're in different parts of kentucky and so it's a totally different trip it's totally different experience uh but we kind of stayed inside the city of louisville uh we ended up going over to the frankfurt area which is across the highway which is not downtown think like it it reminded me of east tosa um and and like it was a cool area uh we had dinner there great dinner and then we were kind of bopping around we went to a club or it was latin night there at the hub and i told my wife i was like i i know the hub is something else um and she didn't get the joke and then i had to explain it was pornhub and she's like oh i get it now and so whatever but I, those who knew if it's like i hate the term if you know you know but if you just were like oh the hub like you're firing pornhub jokes all day but but yes and then we ended up we're like all right this is getting a little too clubby uh we went over to hilltop tavern which is this like dive bar and uh it was great uh the, i think the thing that was the funniest of it all was we met a bachelor party from wisconsin uh, at Old Forester, we're shooting shit with them a little bit, and we saw them there. And if that, and it's a totally different part of town, mind you. And we still saw the bachelor party. Just tells you everything about Wisconsin, right? You'll somehow find the dive bar. And then lastly, went to this place called Sergio Sergio's World of Beers. It was it, so I probably it's way too late in this podcast. Like this is, you guys are probably already tuned out. I've went way too long on Louisville. But there was, I, we just did a lot. And there was a lot of great stories. Uh, Sergio's is this place where there are beers everywhere. There are beers everywhere in this place. And you just kind of look and you see a beer. And it's all individually labeled. And whatever beer you want, you buy. Now, it was past midnight. It was pretty late. And we thought they were open till 2. They were not. They were like closing down shop, ready to go. But Sergio told us we could buy, buy a beer. Now, this is a place that my father-in-law told us about. It was like, you got to go here. He was a bizarre man. I told him, I was like, oh, too bad you can't sell New Glarus. He's like, oh, 
we get New Glarus. Don't you worry about that. I was like, okay, Hardo, settle down. Uh, but I didn't say that to him, of course. But it was like, uh, so, and, and my father-in-law told me, like, he has his own glasses for everything. And he will not let you touch his glasses. And sure enough, he gave my wife and I two different glasses for the beers that we were drink, drinking. Um, we met we met these great, like, film people outside and we shot the shit with them and i ended up we ended up staying out to like 1 30 which is so late for us um on vacation but yeah it was it was incredible man i would do louisville again uh with my wife with buddies with couple like i i can't speak highly enough of louisville um as a trip uh to take so keep that one in mind if you're a bourbon drinker even if you're like not like a huge like bourbon guy if you like like it, but you're kind of like me, like you'll still enjoy it, man. So, so something to think about. All right, I went way too long. I apologize for that. Um, hope you guys enjoy and take care. Have a good Tuesday. Off tomorrow, uh, no pod, uh, and then we'll be back at it on Thursday, uh, and we'll also then have Friday with Mitch. So stay tuned for that. All right, we'll see you then. Take care. Have a good one, Tappers. Bye.